Welcome to the BYP Podcasts. I'm going to continue my talk about the confusing God in Mormonism. I'll start my selection tonight with This Is My Doctrine by Charles Harrell. This is my doctrine, The Development of Mormon Theology, a book he wrote in 2011. In chapter 7 on God the Father, Harold says in traditional Mormon theology, God the Father, whose exalted name title is Elohim, is literally the father of our spirits and was himself once a man who went through the same stages of progression that humans go through. As an exalted man, God now knows all things, is all-powerful, and permeates all his creations through his immanent spirit. That's on page 125. Now, when we read how Joseph Smith described God, in the Doctrine and Covenants section 20, this particular revelation was given in April 1830 at the founding of the church. Verse 16 and 17. For the Lord God has spoken it, and we, the elders of the church, have heard and bear witness to the words of the glorious majesty on high, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now verse 17, the important one. By these things we know that there is a God in heaven who is infinite and eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, the same unchangeable God, the framer of heaven and earth and all things which are in them. So this is one of Joseph Smith's descriptions, at least one of Jesus' descriptions, in a revelation to Joseph Smith in the Doctrine and Covenants. I watched this last week, James White's YouTube video, Understanding Mormonism. I was impressed with his serious determination to understand Mormonism, not from a Christian perspective per se, using Christian authors, but going directly to the Mormon sources themselves. I was impressed with his care and diligence in acquiring the understanding of the Mormon view of God from the Mormon leaders themselves. Here is what White said. In the marriage manual for 1992, it was used for a decade for young couples wanting to get married in the temple, and it has this to say, and they had to take this course. This was instruction from the Mormon church to Mormon youth getting ready to get married. And it's on page 4 and 5 that this information comes from. This isn't hidden back in the back of the book. This is the first thing the married couple, the soon-to-be-married couple, was to study. Here was the instruction. God was once a man who, by obedience, advanced to his present state of perfection. Through obedience and celestial marriage, we may progress in order to become like God. First thing it says, God was once a man, and he progressed to his present state of perfection by obedience. 
God himself was celestially married in a temple on another planet. Claiming the divine potential in man, John Taylor, the third prophet in Mormonism, once wrote, Knowest thou not that ye are a spark of deity, struck from the fires of eternal blaze and brought forth in the midst of everlasting burnings? B. H. Roberts stated, Man has descended from God, and in fact, he is the same race as the gods. His descent has not been from a lower form of life, but from the highest form of life. Man is, in the most literal sense, a child of God. Now, this is not only true of the spirit of man, but of his body also. The implications for this, for the eternal destiny, was spoken by James E. Talmadge. In mortal condition, man is God in embryo. However, any mortal being may attain the rank and sanctity of Godship. That was in his book, Articles of Faith, page 529. God became God by obedience to law. Now, if God became God by obedience to something, which came first, God or law? Law did. The law existed before God became God. Now, of course, to a monotheist, this is not sensible at all. This doesn't have any rhyme or reason or sense to it. Mormonism is the most polytheistic religion of them all, according to James White. He says he has had Mormons seriously defend the concept that there is an unlimited number of gods in the universe, an unlimited infinite number. Well, if there is an increasing number of gods today, because every worthy Mormon male can become a god after he dies, or at least he hopes he can, then there is a decreasing number as you go back in time, and we eventually have to get to the first god. According to Mormonism, the first god was a man. So who created the first man? And how they'll argue is they will say, well, no, hold on. There is an infinite number of gods, so you never get back to the first one. Now, the problem here, of course, is even getting a smidgen of evidence of any actual kind of physical infinity in a finite universe. And this is, in fact, one of Thomas Riskus's arguments that I now wish to turn to in his book, Deconstructing Mormonism. And I will start on page 90, and I will read through page 93. In the synthesized view of the Mormon theology that is now in existence, there never was nor will be a time when there was not or will not be a Father God, when God in his fullness did not exist as a finite, tangible personage consisting of an exalted spirit and intelligence housed in a resurrected, non-biological, bloodless body of flesh and bones with body parts and passions in the form or shape of a man. In a fundamental and limited sense, the Mormon God is scripturally considered to be eternal as a spirit and intelligence. Now, his footnote here, 72, is quite interesting. 
Such intelligences were considered and defined, unintelligibly, I think, by certain Mormon general authorities such as Orson and Parley P. Pratt, B. H. Roberts, and John A. Witso, to be uncreated, self-existing, indestructible, complex, fundamental, and material entities or particles that are essentially self-conscious and capable of ratiocination, judgment, and the power to choose. There are other interpretations and meanings offered by other sources as well, all of which are equally unintelligible. Amidst such confusion on the subject, there is, to my knowledge, and quite conveniently, no official church position on what intelligences are, or what specifically they consist of, or what they mean conceptually. Yet, they are believed to be fundamental constituents of God and man and the building blocks of the cosmos and of all matter in the universe. That's amazing. So God exists as an eternal spirit and intelligence of the highest order, Abraham 3, 18 and 19. And so is man as literal spirit offspring of a heavenly father, that is, God, whose fundamental identity, according to Joseph Smith, consists of intelligences which are co-eternal with the Mormon God and which are inherently indeterministically free to choose and act independently in accordance with the laws regulating their sphere of existence and the great law of eternal progression toward the ultimate achievement of Godhood. Further, God, spirits, and men are considered to be actual, eternal constituents of what amounts to a metaphorical eternal chain. And this chain is an eternally recurring set of three causally interdependent links together, with God as the first link in the set, Spirits is the second link, and man is the third link. Each set of three links leads or connects causally to another set of three links, beginning with a god and so on. Both backward and forward infinitely from set to set without beginning or end. God the Father, who is the first link in this putative eternal chain, he somehow incorporates the intelligences of eternal man who are coexistent with God. They were never created, nor can they be destroyed. So he incorporates these into spirits through a pre-mortal, procreative process. And then he somehow inserts the mature, procreated spirit of man into the human zygote, fetus, or fully formed child, to create, in concert with the natural process of human procreation, a mortal man, just as his heavenly father had done with him, and so on back throughout all eternity." 
Now, notwithstanding the timeless nature of this eternal chain and related creative and procreative process, each link in the chain is considered to have a beginning with the existence of each finite developed chain, in other words, God, spirit, and man, as a discrete personage, considered to be contingent or dependent on the existence of the others. So, according to the synthesized view of Mormon theology, intelligences and spirit matter, whether believed to be separate or identical realities, are claimed to be the fundamental material. They are self-existent, or rather eternal constituents of the Mormon God and also of man, while spirits, as spirits, have a beginning, man as man has a beginning, and the gods as gods have a beginning. Furthermore, the existence of spirits consisting of eternal spirit matter and an intelligent is contingent on the existence of gods. And the existence of man is contingent on the existence of spirits. Finally, the existence of the gods is contingent on the existence, the resurrection, and exaltation of man, which exaltation is further contingent on man's righteous and faithful exercise of indeterminate or contra-causal free will by the grace of God or Christ in strict obedience to the mind and the will of the Mormon God. These contingencies make gods, spirits, and men, as such, contingent or non-necessary beings. Now, let's pause here for just a moment and think very carefully and critically about all of this as either a questioning insider or a skeptical outsider. So, the question comes to mind, how can we or anyone make rational sense of the concepts of eternal intelligences, spirit, and spirit matter? What do such terms actually mean? And further, how might their status as given facts or realities possibly be empirically confirmed or even disconfirmed to establish their claim as a justifiable truth claim? Furthermore still, how could intelligences, whatever they are, through divine procreation be said to somehow literally become parts of spirits, whatever they are, through divine procreation, whatever that means. Moreover, how could such likewise unintelligible spirits consisting of spirit matter and intelligence somehow literally come into or inhabit man from another dimension or a location in space and time through biological procreation? 
Finally, how can we rationally make sense of the claim that a human being, allegedly consisting of a spirit and intelligence within a biological body, is somehow literally resurrected and glorified, whatever that means, after the death and total decomposition of the physical body, to live forever as an immortal, indestructible, bloodless, or non-biological personage? A personage who can then ultimately achieve omniscience and through omniscience, omnipotence as a god. How can we make rational sense of any of this? How can anyone seriously claim the truth of any of this with no reservation or doubt, or at least some embarrassment, knowing full well that none of it makes sense at its face, because all of it contradicts or fails to cohere with or hang together coherently with the best justified and basic knowledge we have regarding how this world works and how the universe works. Now, the question regarding the problem of the Mormon God achieving the omniscience and therefore the omnipotence through eternal progression is incidentally addressed by Christian philosopher Francis Beckwith. In this regard, Beckwith validly argues and concludes, as a skeptical outsider of the Mormon faith, but likely not of his own, that the Mormon concept of God is incoherent. Now, why is this? Well, it is impossible, given the concept of infinite, in other words, that which is limitless, for eternal progression to entail that a being of limited, that is, finite knowledge, gain knowledge until his knowledge of all things now, past, present, and the future, is infinite. This is a position taught by the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith and Mormon apostle and theologian Bruce R. McConkie. Beckwith elaborates, he says, okay, let's look at this, starting from a finite number of things or truths to know, it is impossible, as the Mormon doctrine of eternal progression insists, or at least implies now, to count to infinity. You can't do that. Or in other words, to acquire a knowledge of all things. Nevertheless, Someone may argue, continues Beckwith, that the Mormon God receives his infinite knowledge from his own heavenly Father, God, all at once when he reaches a particular point in his progression. But this argument, Beckwith insists, merely places the problem on the shoulders of a more distant God who acquired his supposed omniscience from an even more distant God, and so on and so on, off into infinity, appealing therefore to an endless series of contingent beings as an explanation for why all the Mormon gods are omniscient, this explains nothing. Whether a Mormon god progresses to infinite knowledge or receives it all at once from his own superior god, the Mormon concept of God, on the basis of this particular argument as well as others, is nevertheless incoherent. And his footnote 73 here is extremely interesting. So here are some other issues in the footnote that show the problematic nature of the Mormon God as portrayed by Joseph Smith and other church historians and theologians. 
This incoherence is at least implicitly appealed to by some so-called regarded Orthodox Mormon authorities, Brigham Young, John A. Witzel, B.H. Roberts, certain Mormon philosophers and apologists, such as Sterling McMurrin and Blake Osler. Now, they claim Pace Joseph Smith and Pace Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie that the Mormon God is and cannot coherently be regarded as omniscient and therefore omnipotent in the sense that he is no longer progressing or increasing in knowledge and truth, or in the sense that he knows how every one of his children will exercise their free agency. Rather, they argue God is all-knowing and all-powerful only in the sense that he knows all things, and therefore he has all power necessary to lawfully initiate and manage the plan of salvation. In other words, he has enough power to ensure man's salvation and exaltation and to lawfully create the necessary causal and regulatory mechanisms, or we would call them natural laws, and conditions and sustain the necessary order in the cosmos needed for life to exist and perpetually eternally, and to perpetuate eternally according to his will. But this speculative position regarding the nature and the extent of a God's knowledge and power has its own problems. First, it is itself incoherent or at least unjustified, if not unjustifiable, in relation to our best justified beliefs or else our established common knowledge regarding the realities of the natural world. Second, it is logically flawed in the premise that the claimed existence of God's perfect foreknowledge is impossible given man's inalienable capacity of indeterministic free will, an argument made by Mormon apologist Blake Osler that he will treat later on in a chapter regarding the problem of evil. And thirdly, it is also incoherent in relation to the so-called neo-Orthodox Mormon view regarding the Mormon God's absolute and total knowledge of all things, past, present, and future, as well as mainstream belief and Mormon scripture. Now, of course, the scripture itself is vague, it's, it's ambiguous, and it's incoherent, but additionally, such a position is factually unintelligible all by itself. For how could the fact of a God's degree of knowledge and power possibly be empirically confirmed or disconfirmed such that we humans might know the extent and bounds of God's divine knowledge and power sufficient to rationally sustain belief or faith in such a God without presupposition and rationalization? It's a very strong question. And finally, how would it be possible to specify, and, and we mean more than just mere speculation, but to actually specify what truths 
the Mormon God allegedly does and does not know, or even take his power, his allegedly has or that he does not have. And how would we know this without begging the question regarding his existence and his reality, or the existence of revelation from him to man about the nature and extent of his believed omniscience and omnipotence. In other words, we can't know what God knows, and we can't test what power God has. That's our supposition. Very interesting concepts. So, essentially... It would seem that this so-called orthodox conception of Mormon theology would seek to have it both ways. And, and here is the problem here. <laughs> One of the other problems here. First, it posits its God as a being that had a beginning through spirit conception and then became a God through eternal progression. And the second point is, Mormonism posits that this God is an eternal and everlasting God. It is a heavenly Father, a creator, and a supreme ruler and governor of the universe who has always existed as an eternal intelligence and fully evolved God. In other words, it is a being who could not not exist. But Mormon theologians and believers cannot have it both ways. If except for the sake of the argument, they can have it in any way at all. For the assertion of a necessary, in, in other words, a self-existing or an eternal set of contingent and procreated realities is not only a factual non-reality, because it is factually meaningless, and because of that it is objectively non-existent as it is conceptualized, but it is also a logical impossibility. Now, specifically how so? Well, the very notion that the Mormon God as a necessary infinite and eternal being, and that's the Doctrine and Covenants 20, verse 17 that I read earlier, is also a contingent, procreated, and finite being is, on its face, self-contradictory. Now, this makes the very idea of such a God at least apparently as incoherent or unintelligible as a round square. Further, to assert or suggest that a God's intelligence or fundamental primary identity is eternal, while his spirit body and glorified resurrected body are not, is likewise sheer and utter nonsense. Something cannot coherently be asserted as both being necessary and contingent, or in this case, to have a beginning yet be self-existent or eternal in its mature form as the Mormon God is asserted to be. A set of contingent, causally, interdependent, indeterministically free and non-self-existent entities, in other words, God, spirits, and man, cannot coherently be stated as being independent and necessarily self-perpetuating throughout eternity. 
It just doesn't work. One writer of an article on the Mormon doctrine of eternal progression as it relates to the Mormon doctrine of deity framed the problem this way. This teaching about eternal progression, while sounding very sophisticated, always begins with the Heavenly Father on his planet, but ignores the most fundamental issues raised by the doctrine. The origins of man are completely ignored in the doctrine. At one time, there were only intelligences and matter in the Mormon universe. Those are the only two eternal things in the Mormon universe. How did man and planets come into being when there was no God to create or organize them? How did Mormon gods come into being in order to produce spirit children when there were no human beings to become gods? Where did the religious revelation regarding obedience to Mormon doctrine come from when there was no God to give the revelation and no human being to receive it? The connection between the existence of the intelligences and the appearance of Mormon gods in human beings is never made or explained as to how it could occur. This connection cannot be made because Mormon theology begins with the eternal man as the foundation and God in a subservient position to man. Not only is God secondary in existence to man, since there must be a man who can be exalted to godhood, but God himself is only the end of human progression to that state of being God. But there is an additional problem, because for a man to be exalted to godhood, there must be an existing God to accomplish the process. What Mormon doctrine teaches is the eternal regress of a circular and closed process of eternal progression. But in that eternal closed process, there is no allowance for the origin or the beginning of the process. There is no opening in which the eternal intelligences first enter the process, because there is no eternally existing physical man or God to be the first cause. So thanks for joining me on the BYP Podcasts. I will continue with number three, further explorations into the very weird and interesting and wonderful Mormon concept of God. So I will see you next time. 